the Agostin Hosinga Show with your host Agostin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Agassino Zynga show with I, your host Agassino Zynga and this is episode number 657, that is 657 of the Agassino Zynga show with I, your host Agassino Zynga and I hope you're doing well wherever this podcast may find you, I hope you are doing splendid. How am I? All good, all things considered. I cannot complain. I really cannot complain on my side of things. Just taking it one step at a time, as we always do, and trying to make sure we use the best of the time that we have here on this glorious planet. So, what have I been up to this weekend? Main thing to obviously comment on is United winning 3-1 against Fulham the other day. What an absolutely crazy, crazy crazy game of football um i don't think i've seen a game like that before in a really long time where the entire you know uh the entire game was changed within a minute and a half of absolute madness from fulham i think before fulham decided to absolutely shit the bed and their players completely lost it they were basically in line to win I think even if William didn't end up handballing the ball the way he did, I still think the momentum was on their side and they most likely would have won that game. In my opinion, they would have probably won it. But you know how it is sometimes with football, sometimes with sports, you, your head goes and then suddenly it goes completely and your whole team implodes. But I thought for the most part, um, a decent FA Cup game from us. I think we didn't obviously start well in the first half. I thought Fulham obviously had more control of the midfield. That Paulinho guy for Fulham was absolutely superb. Um, another one that stood out for me was obviously Andreas Pereira, our former player who's now playing for Fulham and whoever were number six, number six is, um, Reed. I thought Harrison Reed was really good. He really dominated the midfield. But I thought essentially they had complete domination of the midfield with these three people playing in that sort of like triangle there with um, Paulina and Reed playing as the two deep landing um, d- defenders. And of course, Pereira up front, you know, in the middle, kind of providing Mitrovic with all the opportunities going forward. We couldn't get a grip in the midfield. We couldn't get a start on it. Fulham's tactics of whipping the ball into the box sort of worked pretty well for them. And in the end, they basically capitalized on that and built that momentum and basically were able to win. So basically able to score the first goal after the first half. And then I thought from then on, we were basically on a losing streak. I thought we'd be finding it hard to get our momentum back to draw and take into extra time. And maybe they could get another goal on the break. But then David De Gea ends up saving a really decent header for Mitrovic, which I thought was like a game-winning save. And it proved to be the case because soon after that, you know, a crazy bit of like drama happened between William. Um, Sancho was through on goal. He done with a few defenders, went to kill, hit it. And then as he goes to strike into the goal, William comes and blocks it. It looks like his leg, but on the replay, it looks like he touched it with his hand. So, um, of course, with him being the last man, it was a penalty and he had to get sent off. So it's like double jeopardy. Um, Bruno Fernandes scores a goal. 
we're 1-1 um sorry uh, we're 1-1 and then of course soon after that um Sabitzer ends up scoring one of the best goals I've ever seen um in a very long time especially when you think about the finish a back heel that he kind of spun around and it kind of looped over the keeper and then soon after that with nine men on the pitch they couldn't cover every bit of space and then Bruno Fernandes was out free on the left on the right hand side sorry and ended up smashing the ball home to make it 3-1 so all in all not too bad some dodgy performances here and there from the likes of Harry Maguire who you know we're now seeing with the improvement of players that we have we have the likes of you know um Lissandra Martinez and obviously Rafa Brown who's out injured but those guys have been such good improvements for the team overall we're now seeing how bad the other guys who were who we were relying on the likes of Harry Maguire being a good example so he obviously wasn't that great but I guess next to Lissandra Martinez it helped to keep him settled McTominay was absolutely diabolical and ended up getting taken off um, not soon after half time so that was to be expected and apart from that I thought Anthony as well when he came on he obviously was able to kind of be a bit of a catalyst of change and came on with a bit between his teeth and pushed us forward. So not too bad, all things considered. I would like to have seen more rotation, but I think given the quality of the team we're playing against in Fulham, it made sense that um, Ayrton Hag went to stick with the first team as just kind of go that way. So onwards and upwards now, um, heading into the semi-finals of the FA Cup a really big tournament for us I think we definitely need to have this in the bag I would have preferred actually to have the FA Cup over the European League personally for me but you know attacking things on all fronts is all a good thing in terms of rewriting the you know the psychology of this team and making sure that we're not bottle jobs going forward so that was all good so I really did enjoy that and um, yeah happy that we ended up winning in the end of it and then, of course, the other thing I ended up doing was, um, it's been a long, long time coming. Um, I ended up playing my first DJ gig that I've done in probably maybe like a year, maybe like a year and a half, I think, of actually getting paid to play somewhere. That's the only reason why I, I, I think they count. I've, no, no, let me just say that. They only count when you get booked, I think, because there's different levels, because you don't get paid for everything. Sometimes you go to places and you offer to pay for free just so you can kind of get a kind of opportunity. But this was the first one where I kind of was um invited to go and play and um so pick up natalia for thoughts basically sorting that out and kind of arranging that that was perfectly nice to see so that was a nice little surprise to kind of get and because nothing that i kind of worked for something that was kind of handed to me on a plate which is obviously beautiful but um it was definitely a bit of a wake-up call because i haven't been able to do that kind of set in a while and when I mean that kind of set because usually what I was doing when I was trying to you know progress in my DJ career I was basically I identified a little niche that I could kind of maybe carve out that would also allow me to kind of play in front of people on a regular basis which means you're going to improve and I could also just play often enough that would make it worthwhile and the idea behind it was to go and play at bloody bars and pubs that don't necessarily have sound systems set up or that places where most DJs wouldn't want to go and play but the issue with those kind of places is because, you know, you could probably get a lot more opportunities to play there. You're then having to play stuff that you probably wouldn't want to play day to day if you were a professional DJ. So you kind of have to have this two brain thing going on. You have to know how to play to normies, right? Which I don't like to use the term like that, but, you know, just imagine regular people. And you also know how to play to flipping people that want to go out and get mash up on like Ket and stuff, right? So, so you have to occupy two different spaces. And of course, there's two different musical two different musical playlists and whatnot um whatever all that sort of you have to be open to like requests it's a complete mindset of a change and i haven't been around that in a while so i didn't really know what i was kind of walking into but i kind of prepared a set that was kind of you know i thought would cover most of the bases but then when i went up there 
the first thing I realized when I got there, because I wasn't told and, you know, I didn't get the information. I didn't ask, you know, who, who, who's, who knows what problem it is, whose fault it is. But I didn't ask. And when I got there, I found out that I had to bring a controller. They didn't have any CDJs. So luckily, 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 because there was a time when I was thinking of selling my controller, but I didn't sell it. So I've still got my DDJ SB3, that Pioneer one that I was using for ages. But then I just switched to CDJ because most places are playing. that had CDJs in it. So luckily I was able to come all the way back home. I was able to come back home with the help of the with the bar owner because I don't live too far from the venue and I was able to pick up my stuff and then go back again and play and then of course for the last you know for the next three or four hours I was flipping fighting fighting for my life out there trying to make sure that I'm getting let making sure people are dancing because this bar that I played in it's like a really cool sort of like bar that basically you know um has a really nice beer garden there in the summer it's really full and they have quite a late license they open until two they're allowed to stay outside in the beer garden until 11 because in the uk we have these really strange laws around beer gardens because most pubs and stuff are around residential areas no is that yeah residential areas right um uh i guess a lot of the people like complain about sound pollution and whatnot and usually they will enforce a curfew on pubs that have beer gardens and say, hey, you can't have people in your garden after a certain, amount, a certain time because people need to sleep or whatever makes people complain. So then you end up having these places that are meant to be sick all, all day round, you know, until people are outside, but they don't let you outside for ages. You have to come back in. So the basically the requirement for DJs that play in those kind of places is to make sure that people are, that are leaving the garden to go back into the pub to go home, you can make sure you can try and catch them which is really difficult because in the UK, I don't know if you guys are saying, but most of the people that go to beer garden pubs usually want to just hang out in the beer garden. They don't necessarily interested in sitting inside a pub. They kind of want to be out, outdoors, smoking a cigarette, talking to their friends and just chilling. And then when that's over, they just go home. They're not really interested in staying to dance. The ones that do want to stay will stay, but the idea that you can catch them doesn't really make much sense. But, you know, you got to try. So I did try my best to sort of like make sure the vibes were there to, so they can get interested and peaked. But what I did see was what I see in other places too. It's like after about 30 minutes, people might pop in and see that you're playing some good stuff. And then the first song that they don't like, they're just, it's just an excuse to leave. But they're not really thinking of staying because they didn't really think of the place that you were at. They were at anyway as being like a DJ place. They just wanted to go there for, to have a drink. And that's about it. And I guess some people also if you don't really like dance music, when you hear that stuff, to you, it's like a, an annoyance. It's like a signal that there's going to be loads of drunk people, high people coming in. So you're like, you know what? Kill it. I don't want nothing to do with it. And you just kind of run away, which I completely understand as well. So that was a bit hard to get kind of a handle on. But the big up the security guard that I was there because he kind of helped me out because I started off really slow. Even though I started like half an hour late because I've, I didn't have the right equipment. He did help me out by coming up to me and said, hey, you need to crank up a little bit because people are going to start leaving you have to kind of get going now because we don't have time you just started late da, 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 da. I was like, oh yeah true so i just cranked up started whacking on some classic disco hits and then you know got some people dancing about which is quite nice a bit of synth popping that um and all that stuff kind of worked out pretty well in the end of it but one thing was for sure when i finished it was a kind of a reminder of why maybe i can get so like emotional about djs and going out and stuff and just how people treat people or whatever it may be because i know what the actual grind is like <laughs> right and i think i'm aware of it and i'm kind of aware of it from both ends from like promoting and putting on nights to doing what i'm doing now by hustling and playing like in little bars and pubs and to also playing in like warehouses where you can play actual techno stuff so i've kind of approached it from all different fields the only thing i haven't done is try to actually make a track myself but i've done all those kind of areas so i know for the most part 
most people, most professional DJs out there, the ones I like or love or whatnot, they've all come from the same place unless they were fortunate enough to make a banger record and then blow from there or they got a co-sign. Most of them started the same place. They were playing in bars and pubs. They were playing in lounge bars. They were doing like what I was doing before where you were playing in the corner at some flipping art exhibition or art gallery, private view. They've done all that. They've played house parties. They've done all the, the every sort of thing, hustle thing you got to do to get to the place that you want to get to, they've done it. So sometimes I, so sometimes I can't understand why they have attitudes because they know they've come from humble beginnings and they know that not everybody's able to kind of get to where they get to. It's a really kind of cutthroat industry. There's probably not enough opportunities for the amount of DJs that are out there. Basically, if you really think about it, it's the limited amount of clubs, especially in the UK places keep closing all the time. So not everybody can make it. So you'd, you'd think they'd be more appreciative, but they're not. And they kind of take it for granted. Anyway, I was reminded of that yesterday because when, you know, it was happening, the set was going well. And I think from like one thirty or one fifteen, maybe it kind of got quiet and it was hardly anyone there and just some people loitering around in the bar. But I was way down the other side. So I couldn't receive a lot of them. They were just over there and I was on the other side. So I was basically playing for myself for the last like 45 minutes. Then it ends. And then, you know, by the time it's ending, everybody in the bar that's working there is like wiping down wiping down the tables wiping down every surface picking up the glasses and they're kind of in home time the security guards take off their fluorescent jackets like everyone's just done and whatever kind of glitz the night had in my head is completely eviscerated whatever kind of uh whatever kind of a law of the night out is completely gone whatever kind of idea of like you know there's afters going to the green room there is no such thing it does not exist it completely gets eviscerated and you're reminded ah oh, you're just like a human jukebox <laughs> at this level you're not really like you know being that creative or anything going forward so that was a little bit of a bummer but what i'm thinking now to go forward because i want to make sure that you know because when i do these things I'd like to approach them the same way if I was going to play at Flipping Paloma, if I was going to play at Fold, if I was going to play at Burger, if I was going to play at Night Tales, Color Factory. I'd like to approach it the same way. Like I go, you know, with, with a, with a good mindset. I prepare myself beforehand. I'm practicing. I'm doing, I want to do a great job. So what I want to do now going forward, most likely, is I'm going to book a session in Pirate and play what I would imagine to be a really solid four, that, that, I mean, it's a four hour set. Yeah, it's like 10 to 2. So I want, I'm going to play the entire 10 to 2 set that I would imagine, no, that I would like to play if I was there. And then I'll use that as a sort of template that I can kind of work and figure out what works or doesn't work. So if you do see me playing a set on my channel soon, you will definitely see. Um, so don't be alarmed if it's like, you know, really generic type of music and not what stuff you kind of hear me playing, which is maybe like, you know, super aggressive dance music or whatnot in terms of techno and house and whatnot. I'm definitely going to try that just to kind of get an idea of it because I need to kind of have it played out in my head entirely. Because that's one thing I realized when I was doing it before, um, a couple of years ago, you know, you know, pre, uh, prior to the pandemic was that because I was playing so often every week, especially with my friend Natalia, we're doing that all the time. You kind of got into an autopilot. You kind of understood what worked, what doesn't work, um, what you can include. And then you could get a bit creative because even though it's a bit, I wouldn't say stale, but even though it could be a bit monotonous and people can have really boring choices in terms of what they request, you can still be creative in that sort of boringness. You just have to kind of know how to play it, know how to kind of read the room and whatnot and kind of go from there. But it's, it's a good practice to kind of have, but it was just interesting to see how 
the night just went from like all glitz to kind of sour when the night ended you see everyone wiping down the tables outside it was flipping raining i was like rah man this is what it's actually like no private jets no like uber xls um no flipping gaggle or flipping you know um techno hipster babes outside waiting for you with spoons full of cat no it's just you on your own with your flipping i had my little, had my little dj um controller thing inside my little telfar bag in there like just you know just standing there in the rain thinking rotted this is me mate this is me <laughs> but yeah that was pretty good so i'm happy about that really grateful for it and hopefully i can go on to do more and more and more of this so moving on i want to quickly mention this as well so I randomly stumbled across an interview with Gary Vaynerchuk on the guy called, oh, what's his name again? It's a light, he's a, he's a black dude, light skinned guy who does a lot of uh, business podcasts here in the UK. I think his name's like Dario, the CEO. He sat down with Gary Vaynerchuk and he had a really cool interview with him, which I, um, was surprised to see because I haven't seen any Gary Vaynerchuk content in a while. And the reason why I say that is because I am a fan of his, Gary V which is weird to say because a lot of people don't really have to say that with big breaths. But for me, he was always a bit um, someone motivational and inspiring to watch and look at early on. And I read a lot of his books and stuff and would follow him on his channel and see the people that came in and out of VaynerMedia. I even applied to work at VaynerMedia. I got to a pretty good stage in the interview process, but I didn't get selected in the end. This was many years ago. And I've just kind of been a fan of his from afar. But I had noticed in the last few years, I kind of had just like stopped watching his stuff. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't because, you know, Tim Dillon went on that flipping amazing rant against him. It just kind of happened over time. And then what I realized, I remembered, is something what this guy mentions in this article, which is, um, I stopped watching Gary V three years ago. Here's why. In Gary V's content, he always used to say, which I think was really handy because I kind of look at him like the same way I look at someone like a Dave Portnoy. They can be a bit rah-rah and annoying as personalities, but at the kind of heart of it, they are proper businessmen who run proper businesses. It's not just some like, you know, ebook type of thing. And what he used to say when he was making his content was that at, there will come a time where you don't need to listen to what he has to say. You can be out there doing but he's that kind of person that needs to kind of be there to give you the kind of oomph, to give you the kick up the ass. But once you get the courage to kind of turn up, to show up and to do your best, you don't really need to have Gary V constantly shouting at you anymore. And I think that basically was what happened to me because I got kind of busy with actually doing and not needing motivation all the time. Cause that could be a thing as well. Sometimes I've had that thing where like you're, you're paralyzed by analysis um, you just, you know, you just, uh, procrastinate in general. And there's also the procrastination of watching a lot of motivational things. Like I remember early on, I used to be the kind of guy that would, you know, check out Tony Robbins books and stuff. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff, which you think is going to give you the key to something, but actually, the key of the message is just to be brave and to try things out and to put yourself out there and to not be afraid of criticism, all the sort of stuff that you know, but you kind of keep listening to them thinking they're going to give you another nugget that's going to finally unlock something when really the unlock that you need is just to not have fear, which is obviously the hardest. Gary's kind of committed his entire life to being an entrepreneur. That's his entire identity. Everything is wrapped around the idea of him being an entrepreneur. He's obsessed with businesses. He's obsessed with helping businesses, with making money and just being out there on the field. But obviously, over time, that's cost him a lot of things. And if you know, and if you're keeping an eye on what's been happening out there, Gary Vee recently went for a divorce. And um, according to some people online, again, who knows what happened and what the truth is. But according to some people online, people are suggesting that it was actually Gary Vee's wife who initiated the divorce. 
and a lot of people are suggesting that maybe she just you know had enough of that lifestyle wanting to live a life of complete anonymity because for the most part Gary does a good job of keeping his family kind of hidden away and not really in the public which is quite nice him it's what Joe Rogan does so they don't you know he chooses his life but they don't so they get to choose if they want to but for the most part he keeps his kids and his family away from the content but you could imagine being Gary Vee and being a serial entrepreneur, like for real, not selling ebooks and just actually being there, you know, in the office all day long. You know, you watch these vlogs, he wakes up extremely early, he's clearly type A, doesn't sleep much, he's always going, always on the run, and, you know, it just never ends. So you can imagine over time, if you're a partner or somebody like this or you're trying to raise a family, you can feel like you're probably on your own. Again, this is just me, like, you know, um, speaking out, turning, I don't really know what the deals are, but if it's true that his wife did leave, that goes to show that the ultimate, the price you have to pay if you want to be Gary Vee, if you want to fly private, if you want to be driven everywhere, if you want to have personal assistance, if you want to live in amazing homes, if you want to just be like worth millions and millions and millions and millions, then you have to know that that lifestyle will naturally affect your personal relationships. And there's nothing more personal than, you know, being divorced from the mother of your children because you just can't be around anymore. Then I also stumbled on this article that kind of speaks on the same thing where this guy came to the same realization that I'm just saying here now. We're like, you know, maybe being Gary Vee and following that kind of way of thinking isn't for everybody. But this article, it says, I stopped watching Gary Vee three years ago. Here's why. Um, it was a really good one. But I also think what this misses is that Gary Vee's ultimate message, I feel like he was really clear because I, I got it. And I was a bit of a dum-dum. He was very clear in saying that this life of his isn't for everybody. Like he's just trying to give you a kick up the arse, give you the battery in the back so you can go and do what you're doing. But ultimately, if you want to live the life that he does, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot. And he spoke about all the time, you know, how he sacrificed his 20s, how he sacrificed a social life, being cool, all these type of things, going to the club because he was just obsessed with making money. He's obsessed with fucking building businesses and whatnot. And then in the end, you have to pay the ultimate price. And now his wife left him and he's out there in the streets having to, you know, having to go out there and date again at his age. You know what I mean? It must be really mad. But anyway, this article is really cool. Let me quickly read some bits here to you. It says, Gary Vaynerchuk is a polarizing figure. I can honestly, I can't understand why. Sure, the guy gets a little too heavy handed with the hustle porn, but in recent years, he's backed off that. I still stopped watching him about three years ago, though. Why? Well, after building my online course business, selling six figures of annual revenue a year, I kept wondering why I was listening to a guy telling me to shut my eyes until I was 30. Um, it's not that it's bad advice. It's just that it didn't mean anything to me anymore. I grew out of it. I mean, why should I keep working my whole ass off when I'm making six figures yearly? I think for a lot of people in their late 20s, Gary Vaynerchuk's message might start getting a little hard to relate to for a variety of reasons. Here's a few of them. I actually might do, I was thinking, you know what, all these guys like to do this flipping grift of doing courses. I think I may just put, put out some videos. I'm actually going to decide to actually sit down and write a script and put together an actual video where I go and film on site and stuff of just like, like a club roundup thing. I don't know, like, for, cause a lot, get a lot of people messaging me all the time asking me, oh, what club should I go to? What places are cool? I might just do like a little guide of like the, the places that I like to go visit, the type of music that they play, nights to watch out for and stuff and just put it up there. Cause I'm sure if this, if I was these guys, I'd be putting into an ebook. Do you know what I mean? Like hotspots in Berlin, hotspots in London. Duh, 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 duh. It's like, no, no, no. I'm just going to make a video and put it on YouTube for free. But yeah, it's hilarious. They, they always make loads of money teaching people how to do things. 
right? It's always funny. Those kind of courses is hilarious, which is why I respect Gary V more, by the way, because he never charged. He's always put stuff for free. There is no course or anything. Obviously, you can go to his seminars. So when he's speaking at certain places, but for the most part, they're all filmed and uploaded for free sometimes on the internet. So it's amazing. Anyway. He says, in the game of endless hustle, there are winners and there are losers. Gary might, have, Gary might have you, Gary might have you think that it's pretty binary. You work hard, you win, and that's the end of it. But many work hard and don't win. I worked pretty hard at a variety of ventures in my twenties, and many times they did not work. I don't think Gary is evil though, or a liar, or some sort of fraud. I think it's just not simple as work hard and be successful. Sometimes you work hard and get nowhere. And I think over time. Gary V kind of improved this message because he got a lot of blowback. A lot of people pushed back on this and said, hey, this work hard and you're going to get your dreams thing isn't true. Sometimes you work hard and it just doesn't work out. So I liked how he changed stuff and started approaching it through just practical business entrepreneur type of advice. So like the Kyle boot, you know, the whole um, car boot sale type of thing, right? Garage sale type thing where he said, hey, go to garage sales, buy people's scraps that they don't want and maybe see if you can sell them on eBay and make a little bit of a tidy profit. And then maybe that could be a little hustle that you do on the weekends to afford you an extra bit of money to go out for dinner or whatnot or to go on holiday. Like those type of practical bits of advice I thought were amazing because it kind of put entrepreneurship in some level of perspective so not everybody's going into it thinking oh i want to be travis kalanick i want to be flipping the guy that did um what you call it airbnb and all that sort of stuff like for a while it felt like when they came to entrepreneurship everybody was thinking of being mark zuckerberg everyone went to create the next facebook the next uber the next this when really entrepreneurship is like got very different levels like there's like the guy that's selling fruits in the market there's a person, you know, selling stuff door to door. Like there's different levels and different ways you can kind of approach it. And sometimes it can just be as simple as finding something that kind of facilitates or helps you live the lifestyle that you want to live or that kind of allows you to afford the things that you like, whatever it may be. But it doesn't always need to be highbrow, crazy, I want to sell out IPO type of things. It could just be practical stuff that can actually help you kind of, you know, in your day to day. It continues. First and foremost, I fully endorse hustling. Hustle your fucking ass off for it to accomplish your dreams. You owe it to yourself to see what's on the other side of that rainbow. And if you don't ever see it, you might regret it for the rest of your life. Luckily, I've seen what's on the other side of the rainbow. I did everything he told me and I became successful. I work from home, travel a lot, and I've made a lot of friends around the world. So now what? Was it worth it? Gary speaks a lot about hustling, but he hardly ever talks about life after hustling. Does it never stop? It's almost like Gary V's written one of a half, written one half of an incredible book and forgot to sit down and fresh flesh out other half we really only listen to certain creators as long as they're relevant to our own personal struggles i simply grew out of gary v's message which leads me to our next point i think he completely missed a point though this is why i think personally um the book uh four hour work week by tim ferris gets a really bad rap but i thought tim ferris nailed it when Fire Workweek came out, the whole idea behind it, you know, the, the, the title was meant to be provocative and get people's attention. But the Four Hour Workweek model wasn't so you could have, you know, all the time in the world to just sit on the beach and sit pina coladas. The whole idea behind a four hour work work week was to create a muse, like a business that you could have that could basically generate you money without you having to like be on it all the time. So that would include, you know, affiliate marketing, it could include um reselling on Amazon and all that sort of stuff, all that kind of all fulfilled by Amazon all that sort of stuff right in the early stages but the idea behind it was at the time you had free you could then pursue the things that you actually wanted to do whether it was a hobby whether it was another profession whether it was getting qualifications whatever it may be 
it kind of afforded you that time, but it wasn't to just like do nothing. Whereas I think nowadays these hustle merchants, these hustle porn addicts online, they push this idea. Yeah, this is me personally. They push this idea that they want to be entrepreneurs and they're all about the hustle. But really what they want is just to live an easy life where they get to drive Lamborghinis around every day. But they don't understand that actually to be an actual businessman, an actual entrepreneur, it actually means you have to be working for most part nine to nine most days. You're putting out fires every day. You're basically a, you know, at work personal psychologist or psychiatrist in some respects. Um, it's pretty stressful and it can take its toll on you, but it doesn't really afford you the ability to kind of go to Dubai or to go to Turks and Caicos or, or flip the Dominican Republic all the time because you just got so much on. That stuff doesn't apply. Obviously your lifestyle will be somewhat, you know, um, easy, but in terms of your work life, it's not going to be easy at all. But I think they kind of conflate those two things. But anyway, it continues. He says we changed five years ago. Gary's message really spoke to me. I was 22 and hungry, ready to experience all the facets of work and life. Now I'm, I'm battle weary, tired and looking shift, looking to shift gears into actually enjoying my life. Um, in short, I changed. People changed too. What was interesting to people five years ago may not be interesting to them now. Um, may not be just them now maybe they wanted to hustle their face off until they were 30 or five years ago but now they just want to settle down and start a family honestly i've recently wondered what's so special about a nomadic life i live in many parts of the world and i've traveled a lot but i've given up having a home base with common friends and loved ones all my previous friendships have been withered away because i was so busy the thought of traveling now just exhausts me because i now i know i'll be staring starting from zero to yet again i want to stop starting from zero i want to live a life now i want someone who will love me and support the base around me i'm not looking to start another business i'm looking to start an actual life and while gary Vee never tells people not to create a beautiful life for themselves he doesn't give much insight on how to do it either because that's you know what this is a good point here made at the end here while gary Vee never tells people not to create a beautiful life for themselves he never gives them an insight to either because he hasn't got one that's why the reality of it he hasn't got one the guy is probably pretty lonely and he essentially has to you know he's just the way he's wired is that he likes to be busy when it comes to business but he hasn't got enough time in his day to build personal relationships or to be there for his family hence why he's now divorced do you know what i mean it's just part of life like it's one of those weird things that you have to kind of see and people don't see it but that's why i think tiktok and stuff has been really refreshing because on one end you've got a lot of people on tiktok who lie and grift and kind of pretend that business is one way but then on the other side of things, you've got the colder reality of it. Like, for instance, like all those people prior to the mass layoffs like Google and Facebook and stuff that were basically showing off that they did nothing during the day. They would turn up to their Facebook offices and be eating, flipping, you know, um, uh, what you call it? Uh, leftover oats and stuff and they'll be having breakfast at work they'll be going to the gym the sauna meditating all this nonsense that had nothing to do with actually working so you got to see that a lot of people actually waste time and don't actually you know the, the same people that are like oh, i don't have enough time to do x y and z are the ones who are flipping you know at the flipping um bar at work just doing absolutely nothing and just checking over emails quote unquote but then the other side, what he did see is that he's see a lot of really mundane people working in really mundane areas of life and just getting the job done. And you see how boring and laborious um, and really stressful their job is if they're an entrepreneur, where they have to kind of look after, you know, take their kids to school before work, drive over to work, put out this fire, put out that fire. You see them take a lunch break at really late in the evening. I think all those things on TikTok have really been uh, eye-opener for people to see, you know, what the grifters look like 
the ones who purport to be busy and what the actual people who are busy look like. And then to figure out in your head, do you actually want to be a serial entrepreneur or do you just want to earn 500 pound more a month, $500 more a month, a thousand more dollars a month, um, just to kind of afford you the things that you like in terms of your lifestyle and luxuries that you kind of enjoy. That maybe is the main thing about it, but um, it continues here with the last bit and it will move. Um, I'm, I'm prioritizing life over hustle. I love Gary Vee. He gave me this incredible life, a bit of financial independence and the ability to see the countries most people can only dream of. Thank you, Gary, for the bottom of my heart, but I'm ready to focus on my life now. How to build a happy life for myself and close friends and family nearby? Many businesses um, books look to tell you to quit your job and start your own home uh, home business, but then what? There is no guide for life after that. For instance, it's hard to understand how to make a new friends when you're working by yourself all day. Normally, your friends would be your people you work with. That's gone. Now what? Not to mention it gets pretty isolating to have people not understanding you. Every time someone asks you what you do for a living, I want I want you to disappear. It's such a hard question to answer, and I'm always worried and i always get weird looks when i'm saying i don't i don't when i'm done answering it it's lonely at the end of gary v's rainbow even though there are a lot of blessings you get find along the way for that reason i stopped listening to him entirely i still love you gary i'll do it all over again exact same way with no regrets and i think that was a very poignant message and very true and something that i kind of saw especially once i rewatched that interview with him with diary of a ceo which i thought was really touching but it also just reminded me as well oh, yeah why did i stop watching him also but because i just i just started doing stuff so i didn't really need the rah-rah message anymore but gary v was still an important part for me to kind of get to the point where i'm at now at the moment because those constant reminders those practical tips about getting started were really really important moving on from that I went to quickly touch upon this it looks like ranting and raving on the internet um, you know, some people would say it doesn't really make a change, but it actually does. It does actually help real life. It does have, it does actually have some real life effects. So I've met a couple episodes ago. I was talking to you guys about, um, the Balenciaga fall winter 2023 show and how a lot of people were really getting irate because the prices of the new stuff that people really were fans of, like the biker boots and the sunglasses and the combat pants had leaked and they were really obscene. I think at the time when I recorded the biker boots were legitimately going to be priced around seven grand. The combat pants were going to be three grand, which was kind of like a five X, you know, flipping jump from the previous seasons. And people were obviously irate with it being the, you know, we're being in a financial situation we're in now at the moment with a global recession and people kind of hurting financially all over the place in various different levels of the socioeconomic ladder. It just seemed obscene that they were going to be charging that amount for those things that they were charging for. And I think the fans basically descended, especially on this one page, My Face Went, which has nearly 10 million flipping posts. It's now at bloody 8,900,000 and they posted the flipping price list of the up and coming 423 um, items and I mentioned it before my previous podcast right this is the price list and it's the first post that they did for a long time that actually had the comments open because for the most part this account my face underscore no my face when underscore zero uh, usually has the comments closed but they upload loads of pictures of basically Balenciaga and what they have coming up in showroom pictures and whatnot and insight and maybe updates on price is really cool stuff if you're a fan of the brand and at the time of writing that post has over 379 comments crazy right amount of people like really ripping into a brand complaining about the price has not really been happy i guess somebody at caring heard it or the blowback got back to the flipping people there maybe even the 
surprised the VIP customers maybe complain because I think that's probably where it came from. I doubt Balenciaga or Karen cares about us, you know, dusty people like myself who just can afford the glasses. They probably care more about the VIP. So the VIPs probably weren't booking as many appointments as possible. So they kind of listened. And now there's been an update on the prices, at least for the boots, because the boots initially were going to be $7,000, right? And now according to my face when the boots prices have now dropped. So they're originally going to be priced at 7,200. Now they're priced at 5,600, which is a good amount, um, to, to, you know, to kind of consider or to kind of tempt people like myself, especially in this color. It's definitely my favorite colorway that they have. It's got the black, the white, and these kind of really nice red assets on them. But that makes a lot more sense. And the caption from My Face Wentz is as follows. Um, winter 20, winter 23 biker boots are now 5,600. Originally, 7200 makes you think happy this price got lowered the original was absolutely absurd but now let's talk about the speed cat glasses if this price change was get going to happen regardless why collect the deposit for 50 percent of 7200 i don't really know but i'm just happy they listened because you know for the most part you know, Balenciaga have a very loyal fan base, mostly because of Demna and the crazy work that he did over at flipping um whatchamacallit at uh at, at Monroe, obviously and that's why a lot of people are so loyal and sort of like buy what they make you know sight unseen and just kind of trust his vision but to kind of spit in their face and be charging seven grand was crazy my theory i think still stands where i think the reason why they did that was because they want to set a precedent and kind of establish a new normal i kind of described it similar to when you know when the apple iphone first came out i think the first ever one was was priced at five hundred dollars if I'm not mistaken, the first one, the one that Steve Jobs introduced onto the onto the stage, saying, you know, it's a phone, it's a music player, it can send text messages. That that iPhone was five hundred dollars. It was the first one that was five hundred dollars and didn't have a physical keyboard. So that was a really big deal, also. So and then obviously since then, Apple has been, you know, one of the four leaders in terms of setting the prices of smartphones, like you know, the one thousand pound one. And I'm sure they're going to keep going up over time. And I assumed. That's what Balenciaga were doing. Like they were trying to set a level. Okay, cool. Designer shoes are now going to be seven grand. You know, designer boots. I mean, they're going to be that kind of level. But it's glad to see that they have listened to the fans, and we are going to see some lowering. And I think looking at this pictures over the biker boots, my favorite bits. It does look more obvious now that they're not made out of rubber because I thought they'd just be all rubber, but they actually are biker boots with different bits of paneling and detailing and stuff all over them you know it's a really sturdy looking flipping animal of a shoe i'm not going to lie and it's got the little price um you know uh so it's got a little size uh logo here at the back of the heel instead of the front so i quite like these i'm not going to lie the only thing i don't like about them is this aggressively pointy toe the toes too pointy i would like them to be a bit more rounded i think they look a bit strange in my opinion that's the only thing they look a little bit too pointy at the front but apart from that it's still pretty hard but yeah big up Yoga for listening to the fans and actually 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 um lowering the prices that's actually nice to see and hopefully it means people are going to go out and start buying it because that's the only reason why they did it they want people to go out there and buy the stuff they don't want people to get upset and not purchase it so i definitely understand that one i could definitely understand that one Got that, got that cold brew. Oof, feeling good. So, moving on. Oh my God, man. Cortez has decided to remind everybody just what time it is, especially with these shoes that I didn't initially like, the first Air Max 95 collaboration that they put together. This one, this one is crazy good. 
this colorway is insane. So Cortez posted the following. It's a New York exclusive, unfortunately. Hopefully you can get all of them later down the line. But it says, be at West 34 Street and 7th Avenue tomorrow at 12.05 EST. Location revealed here. First come, first served. Look at these. We outside. Look how good this, this colorway is. It's like 10 times better than the previous one that came out, um, which is kind of like an all green affair. This, from what I can see, you've got a shoe here on top of a Nike box inside a bodega, which is absolutely incredible picture as well. Really nicely done. But from what I can see, it looks like it's made out of an iridescent type of material. It's got that kind of iridescent feel where it kind of would maybe glow or shimmer in some type of light. I like the addition of the little camo hit on the inside and then the little pink hits on the front of the sea here and the mudguard, the courtiers written here at the back and then the pink air bubbles. Oh my God, this shoe is fucking sexy. Legitimately sexy. Like I'd wear the hell out of it right up my lane. It's got the right combination of black and the deep, and it's still got the same kind of codes from the previous one with the deep green ties. I like the top of here. You've got this lovely mesh. Like it just looks absolutely splendid. And actually, weirdly enough, on the laces, they don't tie. They've got the little, um, they've got a little tie here at the top here that kind of zips them together like a ziplock, which is quite cool as well. But these look really, really, really nice. I really, really like these more so than the first ones. I'd actually get these before. And I also like the addition. I don't know if this is on purpose because I think this box has been changed. Again, this is me being too anal about this stuff, but I'm pretty sure Air Max boxes don't come in this box anymore. They're sort of like brown and orange half and half. So maybe Cortez, um basically decided or, you know, was uh, made a decision to basically opt for this box instead because this is like a classic Air Max box. Not classic, but it's one you kind of know more for like legendary Air Maxes from back in the day or maybe a few years ago. I wonder if they purposely changed the box to fit in them. But either way, they look absolutely amazing. I think they look really cool. Um, The different hues here, you've got kind of the purpley hue here going into the dark green gradient there, going into a black. Like this is, this kind of breaks my mold of what I said, whereas where I think the perfect colorways on sneaker collaborations should be free. You should just do a base of three, sometimes four, but try and trick the three. But this has got, you know, if you count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe, or even seven, if you count the camo, like seven colorways all included, but somehow with the right amount of, with the right application, with the right color placements, you can get it to kind of look somewhat balanced. But these look so hard, like really, really good like what an amazing amazing shoe and i'm really disappointed that these didn't come out in london to be fair but they are in new york exclusive so if you are in new york it's probably too late to get them now but if you are about in the proud if you check them out and this little screen too that they put out to the billboard is absolutely incredible i like this too i don't know if this is downtown manhattan i'm assuming where they're obviously going to um give the shoes away this looks really cool i like this as well um really cool advertisement with the flipping cortez logo and the nike swoosh above it written in pink on that black billboard too. So that's a pretty nice surprise to see there if you are a native New Yorker. So big up Cortez for putting those together. They look absolutely sick. Then we have to talk about these, of course. Joe Fresh Goods is back. Joe Fresh Goods is back at New Balance with some really interesting models that he's basically picked. Normally he was picking a lot of, I would say, 
what lifestyle shoes right in terms of stuff that you'd wear day to day but this is sort of a little bit more specific sort of H ACG like outdoors ACG type of style um, um footwear that you would imagine that you're trying to maybe tell a different story and this is courtesy of modern notoriety it says Joe Fresh Goods and New Balance beneath the service pack is going to be dropping in April 2023 and the models are really cool but what really sets these apart are the colorways. Joe Fresh Goods and the colorways are insane. Him and Teddy Santis, who's now obviously in charge of New Balance USA and is also the founder of Emilion Dior, is just smashing it. Those two guys are carrying New Balance USA, New Balance Worldwide on the on their backs. So I'm really surprised personally for me, given how much source Joe Fresh Goods has given New Balance, I'm surprised they haven't locked him down on the contract. Or at least an exclusivity contract because he's doing too much good. Like I, he's not he's not had a single drop yet that has for me not hit. Even the vans that he put out were legit flames. I think they look absolutely amazing, man. I love these. Um you got two you got two different shoes, same shoe here, two different colorways. Um and then you've got this cut and then you've got this model as well, which is more of a hiking one that Emilion Dior sort of like brought back as well in the green and the camo design. But the colorways are just so well done. Like his ability to kind of match the silhouettes of the colorways on these sort of lows. You've got this really nice um sort of cream and green sort of mode. And then of course you've got this nice boot colorway too, um, with the olive greens on the top and the camo here on the mud guard. I love the addition of these um you know, gold D-ring lace loops here at the top. They give it a real kind of vintage sort of vibe here. Leather insole, which is always a nice little addition. The label looks really cool. I got to love, I, I really like these, man. Joe Fresh Goods does really well in terms of what he puts together with these shoes. He's done amazingly well with New Balance. And I think these are going to be really, really popular with people when they eventually get their hands on them. But they look absolutely incredible. All colorways are matching. And again, that's the thing I'm thinking about, right? Like, imagine these shoes. For as great as they are in terms of the material selection, like on this one in particular, you've got two different types of mesh. You've got this nice kind of uh, printed kind of material on the orange. You've got some black, you've got some greys. But take away all the materials and textures and just think of it based on colorway. The colorway is banging. You've got orange, um, army um, camo, olive green, some a bit of some dark greens here. These could look really good on any model if you put them together. So big up Joe Fresh Goods for just being really good at colorway designs and where to place them on a shoe in terms of its paneling and whatnot because these look absolutely great. And I can't wait to end up seeing them in hand when they eventually do, 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 do drop. Then, of course, he obviously made a statement too, which I'm going to quickly read here regarding them. On his Instagram, he said, introducing the fifth installment of our collaboration series with just, um, Joe Fresh Good and New Balance beneath the surface pack 610. The Rainer boot is said to be part of our up and coming spring 2023 collection. Oh, okay. So I guess this may be a full contract. Maybe because he says fifth installment. Maybe they've got 10 installments and then they're going to re-review. Who knows? Uh, creating my own camera print <laughs> has been a dream for me for a while now. When it comes to the pack, I wanted to explore the various ways in which we could use a Joe Fresh Goods print to bring the details out from the tonal base of the shoe to the mesh. Every detail has been thoroughly thought out and crafted to bring the makeup of the shoe alive. Easily my most detailed shoe to end being late. Oh, wow. So he actually designed this camera print. Okay, that's an actual, that's a good flex, mate. He designed that camera print that you see there and also the camera print that you can see a bit more 
bit more clearer in the Rainer boot, which is this one. So that camera print is actually designed. That's actually really cool. That might have been such a cool pleasure to have and to have them, you know, New Balance's resources to produce those, manufacture those to that level of detail as well is absolutely incredible and quality also. Like, yeah, even the, even the laces choices are really good. Um, I love this, that, that style. I don't know what, what finish it is. It's more of a silky finish. It's not really brushed or leather sort of stuff that you're used to. I really like that. That was really, really cool. So yeah. Big up Joe Fresh Goods. These look really incredible. Look really impressive. I like everything about them and I can't wait to see them when they do eventually drop in hand for everybody to get their hands on them. But I'm sure they're going to sell out really, really quickly. But, um, let's move on from that one and then we're going to talk about these also these are really nice these are courtesy of modern modernity as well i'm um, sorry modern notoriety and this features the nicole mcclaughlin and vans gardening tote slip-on and if you're not familiar with uh, this nicole girl she was the one that went viral a few years back for basically cutting up different pieces of you know basically bags or shoes and then putting them together in a sort of patchwork thing and making things that should make like you know a bikini set out of shoes or a bag she'd make loads of different stuff and um yeah for the most part the first collaboration i really saw of her do shoes wise was this reebok shoe that was absolutely horrible if anything she deserves way more than reebok but i thought they were completely pants anyway but i do prefer these i think her aesthetic really works really well with this pair of vans and i've always thought personally um in the same way that a vans chucker i think is really underrated i always thought the van slip-on was a very underrated model for whatever reason the vans old school the eras the authentics the skate highs were always the most popular even sometimes the half cabs but i thought the vans chucker was definitely 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 um something that was overlooked as well as a slip-on so it's nice to see um this is getting some love and as you can see on the slip-on she kind of edited or you know basically put her twist on the slip-on at the top of it you've got these really cool little um compartments where you can slip in little things like they've got here a fork a rake and a little kind of you know a shovel type of thing here for gardening and it basically looks similar to the upper that you would find on like a really sturdy tote bag um that you might get from some sort of flower shop somewhere so that's pretty nice to see and yeah there's compartments everywhere there's elastic that can hold stuff down um but i'm sure what will end up happening that people like myself would just end up using these little slits to slip little baggies of coke and shit inside here or like pills or cat or whatever else or md do you know what i mean that's what people end up doing they end up using these little slits as ways to put drugs the same thing that they did to those jordans those charis got jordan sixes that had a little pocket on the side they just use those little pockets to put flipping drugs in it so um that's what they're going to end up being used for but i do like it even the label looks really cool right you got here vans you got nm her initials and then you've also got um the gardening tote here which i really really like i love all this honestly i love it i love it i love it i love it so it looks really really cool so big up her for putting these together like i said before definitely her best collaboration to date and it looked really cool even in situ and you know there's a matching bag for them as well with the same sort of colorway but these are going to be really popular i reckon i think they're going to be really 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 popular when they do end up dropping especially because that girl is kind of popular herself anyway i'm not too sure if the sole looks a bit thick there i'm not too sure if that's been if that's an extra thick sole maybe it is maybe i'm not too sure but i do like the strap on the round them as well where you can hang them um on a bag or in general so that's going to be pretty cool to see but they might look a bit might be a bit weird to wear 
Because I think I think people may end up cutting the strap off because it kind of you know sags at the back a little bit. But this kind of tote bag strap thing might end up getting cut off by people. So um, that'll be interesting to see. The sneaker customizer makes a shoe that people want to cut stuff cut stuff off from because it doesn't look great. And then there's one more picture here featured with her kind of you know sat down and gardening somewhere so in her house, which has become a trendy thing, which is cool to see. But yeah, they look cool. I like them. I like the look of them. They really match the bag, which I'm sure is the inspiration for the shoe itself, which is great to see. So yeah, big up, uh, big up. Uh, what's her name? Big up Nicole McClure. How do you say her name? Nicole McClellan for those vans, and they're going to be coming out very, very soon. So cannot wait for those to drop when they do eventually drop. Cannot wait for those to do eventually drop. Next, when let's talk about this one. This is news courtesy from RA regarding a U-turn in Georgia law that was um, really controversial, that a lot of protests have happened around it. And, you know, suddenly the law changed, which is flipping great because usually these protests, you feel like they're mute and they just serve one purpose to kind of get people interested, to kind of just speak out. But in terms of actually changing stuff, nothing happens. But it's nice to see a change was affected here in Georgia. It says here, Left Bank founder um, Gasha Bakradi Bakradze's Radze has said Bakradze said the decision is a clear indication that people's voices and actions can be made the difference. It says Georgia's parliament has voted to drop a controversial bill following the mass protest. Lawmakers voted 50, 35 to 1 against the bill last Friday, March 10th, at a session that lasted just over four minutes and featured no discussion. The vote came after thousands of people took to the streets of Capitol Tbilisi last week to protest against a so-called foreign agents law, which critics said would have restricted press freedom and civil liberties. And if you're wondering what this um, foreign agents law was, I just quickly looked it up and and found this article courtesy of Reuters that explains it in harrowing detail. What is the proposed foreign agency law? Individuals, civil society organizations and media outlets that receive 20% of their aid or funding so from abroad would be required to register as a foreign agent influence with the Georgian Justice Ministry. Now, let's be known. If that's the case, that title isn't good, right? If you think about it, let's just, let's just put that out there. You don't want to be ascribed as a kind of an, an agent of foreign influence or whatever nonsense that is. It continues. Organizations would have to meet what Human Rights Watch described as an, um, onerous reporting requirements and inspections and would face fines of up to 25,000, um, Georgian Lari, $9,600 for failing to comply with prison sentences up to five years for repeated offenses. Swaths of Georgian civil society including electoral election monitors, corruption watchdogs, independent media outlets would have been covered by the law. Rights groups say that the foreign agents tag is designed to make it easier for the government to discredit its opponents. So clearly that was going to be a bad bill. So them protesting and getting it turned around was amazing. The protests were strongly backed by the city's clubbing community with venues such as Bassiani, which I definitely need to go to. Um, another venue here called KHIDI, another venue here called Left Bank released statements condemning the proposed bill. Speaking to resident advisor, Left Bank founder, uh, Gashka Bazrazi says as follows. A testament to the power of collective action and a clear indication that people's voices can make a difference. I'm particularly heartened by the fact that this victory isn't attributed to the opposition, but to the new generation of activists who came forward to defend the democratic rights. This shows that when people from diverse socioeconomic groups, political beliefs and backgrounds come together for a common cause, meaningful change can be achieved. 
So it's great to see that that's happened. I love to see the flags there. You've got the EU flag, the Georgian flag, the Ukrainian flag, everyone coming and joining together. Um, it's great. Lovely. Happy to see this. And I can't wait. Wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to see more. I can't wait to see more. Okay, Richard is saying, got a friend over there. Rotted. Yeah. I need to go to Georgia, man. I need to go to Georgia. I've been having it on my bucket list for a while, but I keep kind of putting it off because I keep, you know, making the easy choice of going to places like Berlin all the time. But I need to kind of venture out there, which I'll probably end up doing sometime this year. I need to see what all the hype is about, but definitely interested to go. Um, next on the list here, we've got uh, another story here, courtesy of RA. It says they've got a new RA film is going to document Ukraine's electronic music scene during a war, which is really crazy to kind of see. I remember seeing a really interesting clip, courtesy, I think, of the YouTube channel DW obviously it's a media outlet obviously out there in Germany also um, but they put together a really cool little clip that I thought was very illuminating during the whole war that basically said there are parts of Ukraine even parts of Kiev that haven't been where people are basically trying to get back to normal and people are kind of partying and whatnot and throwing these little day raves and parties and whatnot and interviewed people who were there and a lot of the guys there guys and girls were feeling kind of guilty they were feeling kind of guilty that they basically had the opportunity to party when other parts of the country were, you know, were basically getting bombed day and night. And um, it kind of made them feel a little bit, you know, just having that kind of weird survivor's remorse that they're still there and they're choosing to do that sort of thing. But then on the other side of things, a lot of them were saying that they needed the release because they're basically living in a war zone and they need an opportunity to just release and forget about the ills of their day-to-day -day lives and kind of have some level of fun. So it's a kind of a weird place to kind of be at at the same time. Um, but it's also cool to see a lot of the local community in nightlife has really mobilized and kind of gathered together. Many people have been the scene, have gone to actually fight on the front lines, which is absolutely insane. But it's actually happening there. A lot of people kind of, you know, stepped up when their country needed them the most. So that's been cool to see. But it's also interesting to think about in terms of what's happening in Ukraine, just how much the political discourse around it has changed. And when this movie does debut, it's still going to be met with probably the same resounding uh, amount of love as it would have done at the beginning of the war, especially considering the amount of money different countries have kind of sent over there and stuff like it's become a really complicated issue to kind of pass and get your head around and what way you should stand and whatnot. But anyway, I'm interested to see the film when it does come out regardless. I want to just check it out and see what the vibe is like on that side. And usually RA, even though it's not what it used to be as a site, what they really do well is these kind of um, visual essays and documentaries kind of really highlighting and kind of, you know, um, digging deep into various scenes and whatnot. Cause this is how I basically discovered stuff when I was coming up and I was in the ends. I didn't really know nothing. So the article says as follows, a new resident advisor documentary exploring how Ukraine's once thriving electronic scene has been affected by the Russian invasion will premiere in Berlin and London next month. Co-produced by RA and Tabor, Ukraine Nightlife and Resistance examines a topic through the lens of six unique stories, each one identifying how the scene changed overnight. Among the the personalities featured are drag performer and bouncer Vlad Shest, electronic composer Himlani, DJ promoter and bar owner Garrick, Pledov and a team behind the venues closer modal and tu i actually honestly this is a story i always kind of say but my next place i was meant to go to um when before the pandemic happened was ukraine and was to go to kiev like i had everything listed i had the airbnb i was going to go to and the only thing i didn't book was the flights and then as soon as i was just about to go book them that's when the war in flipping ukraine started or the invasion from russia obviously started and then, you know all the plans got scuppered but obviously the you know i was able to kind of just you know leave the flipping um airbnb um there because i think in the early parts 
of the war a lot of people had book trips to go to ukraine too and what they did to kind of like you know uh, give money back to the people was basically just you know not cancel the booking and let the flipping um host of the apartments take the money and stuff and use that for whatever they needed to use it for so that was a pretty nice little gesture people were doing in the middle of the pandemic it continues alongside these stories this film also explores why kiev became such a prominent city in the context of club culture and looks a future or to assess the long-term implications of the war made possible through ari's partnership with jägermeister jägermeister sponsoring a documentary about you mm, interesting um the premiere will take place at berlin's passage kino um april 5th and london's barbican center april 11th i'll be there they'll feature q a sessions with the film's protagonist moderated by ra's um ra editors um chloe lula and carlos Hawthorne, Hawthorne, respectively the film will also be screened at kiev at a later date um ahead of the film's release ra is hosting a ukraine fundraiser at london club fabric this thursday um while like Friday, the money raised from the premiers will be split into two charities inside ngo and world central kitchen for more information about the premiers and the flyers are below as you can see there there's the information there for the for the premieres one the which i would go to and of course the parties which i'm not really interested in but yeah we really should see that um ukrainian light knife in resistance um it's, it'll be interesting to see how they're navigating around that whole issue and um what they're doing now to kind of keep themselves sane considering what's going on in their country so i can't wait to check that out i really really cannot wait to check that out Next on the list here, we've got this really cool article courtesy of RA regarding a new listening bar that has opened up in Berlin called Bar Nero. Hmm, it kind of sounds a little bit like Bar Negro, but not too close, but not too far, right? It's Bar Nero, but it looks absolutely beautiful. Oh my God. I've got this um little dream of mine this little goal not a dream a, a goal of mine speak with intention and speak with conviction i've got a goal of mine that i'm going to achieve in the future of opening up my own nightclub if i don't open up my own nightclub the closest thing that i'd want to open up will be a listening bar even though for whatever reason in the uk listening bars always open and close for some reason they don't stay around for ages because maybe people want to party and whatnot i don't really know but the listening bar concept i love I love the listening bar concept. I honestly do love the listening bar concept. Um, I love the idea of going to somewhere and having it kind of being tuned um, by an audio file, being kind of, you know, designed in a way to bring the best out of the music from the flipping, you know, from the furniture that they use, the seats, the soundproofing, everything is kind of <coughs> designed in a way to make the place warm and to make it kind of palatable and to make it the best place possible to listen to great records and i like the fact that most of these places i've concentrated on only playing records lps actual vinyl and that kind of obviously resonates better with some sound systems and whatnot whereas maybe if it was me and i had a soundbar i might be the first one that has you know what it's digital only there is no vinyl maybe that might be a way to go about things but regardless anyway barniero opens on april 6th and um, courtesy of ra it's a new listening bars opening up in berlin next month launched by analog foundation bar nero officially opens see every time i say nero i want to say negro but it continues will open its doors on april 6th located in um omst Omstraza in Mita um, is sister venue of the brewery studios a nearby recording studio also run by the Analog Foundation. Barniero has been built and designed by recording engineer Eric Bauer, Eric Bura, sorry, the acoustic design by longtime collaborator Ima Sant Sama 
Ein Mar San Marti of Acoustics, Acoustics, sorry, while Brewer and San Marti have built more than 20 recording studios together around the world. Barniero is their first listening bar. The Brewer um, also bought Barniero's custom hi-fi system, which is made up of premium vintage components such as an Altec A5 speakers, a Garage 301 turntables, and a Shindo amplifier. In true Japanese audiophile fashion, the speakers are built with original components from 1950s. Imagine building... This kind of reminds me of like people who buy old cars, but then they kind of soup them up to be modern. You've seen that a lot of people of Joe Rogan speaks about it a lot where people will buy like an old car, like an old fifties car and just make sure all the components, the engine and electronics are up to date. But you know, basically the engines are the same, but the components are kind of, so you can run sort of quote unquote normally. Whereas I like what these guys are doing. They're rebuilding audio systems with the original components. They're not trying to update them with the, you know, modern components, which will kind of give the sound a different sort of texture. You would imagine. Um, we're really proud of our system and space which has truly been built with love, says Bro, to a resident advisor. From the vintage components we've sourced uh, for Bar Nero to the cutting lathe we're about to import from Japan to the studio, we are interested in the ways that this analog equipment makes creating, recording, listening to music special. Um, the ethos of the analog is to one craft, attention and care and beauty when working to host guest selectors and bar patrons who enjoy this ethos as much as we do. Yes, I can't wait to visit when I eventually go back to Berlin. It's going to be flipping amazing. Have a look at some of the Look at look at how beautiful this place looks. Look at the turntables. Look at the mirrors they've got on top of here. It looks so good. This wood all over the place. You've got some nice bottles of booze here, records everywhere. The mirror's interesting, isn't it? Because I've I've never been to a listening bar, so I'm sure there's a practical reason why these mirrors exist. <clears throat> but these look really cool. The size of the turntable. Oh, the tables and the chairs look awesome. I love the checkboard flooring. One of my key things. I love how the lights are slipped up on here at the top. This kind of reminds me a little bit of the, of the Innovisions retail store. Which they still got it. It's commute. I think it's commuting to the noise or whatever it's called. Innovision. They've got a store and it's got a similar sort of design here on the roof. <clears throat> You've got some pictures here of the speakers here that look really amazing. Wow. Love these. And yeah, Barniero, opening soon, April 6th. Check it out if you're around in Berlin. I'm definitely going to check it when I'm back there because I think I should be back there around the week of like April 22nd or something. So I'm definitely going to be checking it out when I do end up going there. So yeah, that's nice. Big up Barniero. Big up Barniero. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So um, yeah, I am actually thinking of going back to Berlin very very soon and the reason why I'm thinking of going back is this particular weekend this particular weekend the Berghain is going to be absolutely insane so this is a Friday the 21st of April which I'm thinking of going for that weekend um on the flipping panorama bar night you got bite night um you got for, for you know which doesn't happen most of the time on Fridays because usually only panorama bars open <clears throat> but for the for that one <clears throat> you've got Berghain open main space sorry <clears throat> bloody hell <clears throat> yeah so you got Bergan open main space um which is great on a friday because it doesn't usually happen you've got new frames and face fatale playing live you've got pablo bozzi also playing live so i'm wondering what they do live because i know they've got like a group together face fatale and pablo bozzi but i wonder what pablo bozzi is going to be doing live by himself maybe he's just got a mic behind the decks or something is he playing instruments i don't know what that will be like because i've never seen him 
perform live i've just seen him dj and he absolutely smashed it and he's definitely one of my favorites um but it's obviously going to be in burger so maybe it's going to be a bit more dark a bit more harder than what it would be if he was playing in panama which is a bit more disco feel anyway gail's there nukes and a person called omen breaker who i'm not really too familiar with and then panama bar we've got marie davidson um who said she was going to quit actually a while back but now she's back so good anyway it doesn't matter pablo bozzi again djing there ron Mo- ron morelli of lies one of my favorites too coming up um lies is one of the greatest record labels out there some of the great cover art and merch and just you know um roster of art is just absolutely incredible the, the variety of people they got on there it kind of reminds me of the early days of lots of ferryman r.i.p to that label after what flipping you know as queen for sorry unfortunately accused of you've got another one um zayness uh, back to back with new romancer but this night looks absolutely incredible so that's why i'm probably going to end up going there and then on the following night there's also going to be a powerhouse happening at Paloma Bar, which I've been privy to. So I'm also curious to go back there to see DJ Pete and DJ Finn Johansson playing. It may not be DJ Pete, maybe somebody else, but I'm still interested to go. And then on a Saturday at Bergheim, which is good also, you've got a pretty decent lineup there on the main room Bergheim. Um, the, the standout person who I'd love to go see there because I haven't seen them play, you know, it'd be quite weird to see somebody like an Oscar Mulela play at Bergheim because you'd imagine he'd be a little bit more business techno adjacent but I'd like to see him play there regardless so that'd be pretty cool to see but then the main one I want to go see is Panobar Panobar is going to have Atta Atta and Gerd Jansen which is like Frankfurt and Robert Johnson royalty and then you've got one of my favourites there who doesn't get enough flipping um, love at Panobar is Andy Baumacher who I've you know said hi a couple of times too when I've been in Berlin or I've been in Berkheim and he's always been really nice um, which is you know something that a lot, a lot of DJs are like and with me as long as I have one good interaction with somebody I'm your fan for life so I'm always been going to be a hardcore um and Baumacher God Jansen even who I've said hi to a couple of times he's also really lovely I'm always going to be those guys because those guys are really nice and just kind of went out of their way just to kind of exchange a couple of good words which goes a long way to kind of make people feel good so yeah really looking forward to going to this weekend um this is what I'm going to be doing so if you see me streaming like an absolute you know what w word then you know why because i want to be able to go here so if you see me talking about brendan shaw like a million times you'll know exactly why because daddy has a plan to go to berlin on this weekend here so definitely um definitely keep uh keep that in mind if i'm here ranting and raving about the same things every single time when it comes to these sort of topics you will see that you will see that um what else i got to talk about here let me just quickly peruse this place and see actually let me see here because i forgot what my topics were like an absolute redact as per usual bear me one minute while i just pull this up on my end so i can see what else i meant to talk about here but uh, you talked about that you talked about that oh yeah so about this yeah so this article was funny courtesy of the new statesman is techno about to die obviously not based on the title but this is obviously made and written to generate clicks and to engage someone like myself who doesn't read stuff um you know doesn't read articles and just goes by the headline but let's see what this person has to say this is courtesy of a writer called octavia sheepshanks which sounds like a troll 
right? It, or it, it also sounds like she could be the daughter of some MP or something. So I don't really know. But let's see what Octavia Sheepshanks had to say about Techno Dying, which is absolutely hilarious and obviously wrong. Um, when you consider just how young the scene is now and just the amount of young people out and about nowadays, the prevalence and popularity of it and TikTok and shit, it's just, no, it's, you know, it's not going to die. Anyway, we'll, let's just see what it's to say. So this article says as follows. Until recently, to find music as sped up as 100 beats per minute, you'd have to don a black t-shirt and a serious expression and hit a techno club now you just need to turn on the radio calvin harris and ellie golden new single miracle is vying for uk number one in the charts and it is 143 bpm um transporting us back to the 1990s um it is also a trance anthem trance is techno's cheerful sister quantively similar but quantively worlds apart both are electronic with four beats to a bar with all the beats think um boom 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 so fast it's no time to think both feature breakdowns build up building anticipations and then drops and return to the beat but while the techno is a lyricless and dark with a heavy use of drum machines and trance songs are melodic and often feature positive emotional lyrics trance music is catchy accessible and fun and makes me want to jump around in my bedroom of course somebody like an octavia sheepshanks would like trance and it makes complete sense trance is awful trance is like roller skates like it's just one of those things that's just never gonna get rid of that, you know, of that flipping of that stink. Like people can roller skate now, rollerblade, try and make you look cool, but there's nothing cool about roller skating, in my opinion. Techno makes me want to hide under a bed. Techno has an omnipresent um in the world of electronic dance music for at least a decade since trance popularity waned in the mid two thousands. Both trance and Eurodance have traditionally been considered um eminently uncool, but Gen Z and young millennials um who were toddlers during the trance's original launch into orbit don't care. And so change is afoot. For example, the Canadian producer DJ um musician T D J is going all in releasing original mixes <clears throat> sorry, of pure trance and Eurodance, uh, accompanied by extended music videos that were a terrifying social commentary on her generation. It continues, pass through this. Oh, look at Boris, the ugly cunt. Um, meanwhile, Fred again, the producer, DJ, uh, musician who is rapidly risen in global fame, has released a trance hit with um, Rummy Madley Croft of the XX. And um, Fred again's technique of building songs around the overhead comments. Look, this this girl that's commentating on is techno dead. Is fans of trance and Fred again. This says everything about her taste level. To be fair, but what if trance is responsible? Several Fred again songs contain trademark elements of trance, such as extended breakdown of mid song, where the bass melts away in floaty emotional vocals and lead away to the minutes of time before an epic drop that leaves the crowd bouncing and beaming this paired with simple lyrics from real people if you don't know don't worry creates a feeling of hopeful nostalgia in a similar vein there is a young marco's trance out edit of Imogen heaps hide and seek which last year left boiler dancers confused then ecstatic and has now been released via ministry of sound calvin harris fred again tdj and others are just introducing people to young dance music where where alienated by techno's darkness they're appealing to current techno fans who find themselves thinking that actually um something um they can sing along to might be quite nice after all goodbye berlin hello of eurovision techno's reign is over not a moment too soon shut up octavia sheepshanks talking absolute shit to be fair 
if anything, the kids nowadays are probably a lot more open to listening to everything at the same time. Whereas my generation, I felt like we're a little bit more one track minded. If you liked garage at the time, you liked only that. If you liked bass music or you liked jungle, like, or you liked drum and bass, you liked that. There wasn't really much crossover. But now a lot of the people, a lot of the kids I see going out are going to disco nights. They're going to trance nights. They're going to techno nights. They're going to house nights. Like they're doing everything. Um, queer nights, all that stuff. Like it's not, so it's not just like a specific place they're going to. It's all kind of, you know, rising up together. And you just got to look at places like Boiler Room anyway. Um, recent sort of like, you know, gigs that they're having there from the likes of gutterings and whatnot. And if you have people <clears throat> out there who are playing that type of music and look at what the DJs are playing, it's a mix of everything. So to say one thing is dying, the other thing is rising up is dumb because I think in a, in the space of electronic music and dance music, I think when one ship rises, the attention just rises on the other thing because people always want to be attached to the hot new thing. So techno, I don't think can die. Um, techno obviously could die if it, but I don't think intrinsically it can because at its core, it's still kind of youthful, anti-establishment sort of expression. And as long as there's kids, as long as there's youth, um, there's always going to be a techno. It's like any other bit of dance music, any other bit of music in any way or form. So the idea that it's going to die is to me absolutely crazy. Personally for me, absolutely crazy. But yeah, big up um, Octavia Sheepshanks for attempting to bury um, flipping techno. It's not going to work. It's not going to work, my dear. You can't stop it. You can't. Um, but yeah, what you <laughs> big up Lisa. Thank you so much. I appreciate the comment, Lisa. Thank you. Um, moving on from that one. What else I went to speak about here? Bear with me one second. I think I was going to mention. Oh, let's talk about this. Oh, let's talk about this. Have you guys seen this? This is pretty crazy and pretty funny. So for some reason, people on social media were getting really annoyed and really angry with flipping Gwyneth Paltrow of all people, right? Gwyneth Paltrow was getting stick online for sharing that she basically doesn't eat much because she's a flipping, you know, a, A-list Hollywood um, actor who's been at the top of her game for more than three decades and hasn't looked, you know, dissimilar. Basically, she's aged, but size-wise, she's been the same since she burst onto the scene until now. So you'd imagine somebody of her level and of her skill and of her looks would obviously have some sort of, you know, extreme dietary regime to make sure she's still landing the roles and looks a particular way. But for some reason, the internet, you know, was shocked and horrified to learn that a really famous actress probably doesn't eat too much. So she basically was sitting down on an interview on a podcast, talking to a doctor, I think as well, about her basically lifestyle and eating habits. And this caught everybody off guard and they really didn't understand how to react to it. Let me play a clip of her speaking about her dietary requirements here. Whoops. Not the one that Let's press it. Now I eat dinner early in the evening. I do a nice intermittent fast. I usually eat something about 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the morning I'll have some things that won't spike my blood sugar. Right. So I, I have coffee, but I really like soup for lunch. Um, I have bone broth for lunch a lot of the days. Try to do one hour of movement. So I'll either take a walk or I'll do Pilates or I'll do my Tracy Anderson. And then I get in the sauna. I drive rush and I get in the sauna. So I do my infrared sauna for 30 minutes. And then for dinner, I try to eat, you know, according to paleo. So lots of vegetables. It's really important for me to support my detox. What's your wellness routine look like now? I eat dinner. 
so for me that was no that was no real big surprise to hear somebody like her doesn't you know sit down and eat a fry up like i do or something in the morning with baked beans and toast and two sausages and shit clearly not to look the way that she does but for some reason the internet got really up in the tizzy about it and was you know making it a conversation piece there was tons of fat girls on social media basically you know projecting onto her which is also weird because i feel like in the world that we're living now if there's going to be fat acceptance there should there should also be an understanding that there are some people out there that really do care about what they look like and that they will go to extreme lengths to make sure that they look a particular way so i think both people should be allowed to coexist without having to call each other names so if you want to be fat as fuck you can and if you want to be skinny as fuck you can just let's just kind of you know live and love together and not learn to kind of point fingers and throw stones at each other but you know this is social media this is the internet if somebody does something you don't agree guess what you tell them to stop and you tear them down and you shout them so people shouted enough at Gwyneth Paltrow which she doesn't usually do she doesn't usually respond she usually just kind of lets it go but she decided to respond to all the negative blowback she was getting and basically explain why she does what she does and I think in my opinion she kind of lied and made an excuse to make it you know to make what she's doing in terms of her dietary choices you know somewhat um to make people not stop talking about it basically i think that's what she she basically lied about it and said that she has long covid which i don't think is true um i just think you know if you're a attractive actress and you are you know especially if you know anything about hollywood you know uh, the the older women get the roles for them kind of diminish so you basically have to try and do loads of things to ensure that you're still getting the roles and sometimes one of the things that you can do to make sure you're top of the game just make sure you're a certain size and you look a certain way so that people can consider you getting casted so whatever she has to do to kind of be considered that level she'll obviously keep doing and um that's what she's been doing these days but anyway this is i'm going to power responding to the backlash that she received for her um bone broth um dietary traces let's see what she has to say um okay so let's jump into this so i think it's important for everybody to know that i was doing a podcast with my doctor so this is a person that i've been working with for over two years now um to deal with some chronic stuff and i have long covid so i have been and the way it manifests for me is very high levels of inflammation over time so i've been working with dr cole to really focus on foods that aren't inflammatory right so lots of vegetables, cooked vegetables, all kinds of protein, healthy carbs to really lower inflammation. And um, it's been working really well. This is, you know, based on my medical results um, and extensive testing that I've done over. So just to finish, you know, this was a, this was a transparent look at a conversation between me and my doctor. It's not meant to be advice for anybody else. It's really just what has worked for me and it's been very powerful and very positive this is not to say that you know i eat this way all day every day and by the way i eat far more than bone broth and vegetables i eat whole meals Lies. um and i also have a lot of days of you know eating whatever i want and eating you know french fries and whatever Lies. But my baseline and it really has been like to try to be healthy and to eat foods that you know will really calm calm the system down so i love how she said french fries in passing like she's just like yeah, french fries like i don't believe her it kind of reminds her of that time in coachella when uh, mcdonald's had a 
had a stand i think it was around the pandemic times mcdonald's sponsored a little section in coachella and they had all these hot instagram girls like the madison bears and i think some of the jenners come and stand and pose and of course they paid them a lot of money but it's just hilarious to think that you know they were using those girls to advertise mcdonald's because like when's the last time do you think those girls ate mcdonald's especially in a run-up to flipping coachella they probably all were flipping eating cucumbers and flipping with you know cucumbers and hummus all day every day and carrot sticks they weren't eating nothing else so the idea that they were doing all that is absolutely hilarious but what i think as well what thing what lisa h said in the comments here in the chat was really interesting about eugenia cooney i think i'm the same i think I'm one of those weird people who gets into, you know, who likes to kind of dig in and see what people are saying online. And I remember one time ages ago, I kind of ended up on like a different side of Twitter because you can, you know, black Twitter, whatever exists, all that sort of stuff and ended up finding, um, eating disorder Twitter and eating disorder Tumblr. This was, no, maybe, no, I first saw it on Tumblr. There was a whole scene of like girls online you'd assume were girls that will be posting stuff about you know being skinny about having a particular gap between your legs about your ribs showing like just eating disorder twitter was mad in it at that time in terms of being a particular shape and then of course at the time it transferred onto onto flipping um twitter and now it's become a big thing on there with a lot of girls posting pictures of certain models that they want to look like and you know dietary plans and whatnot and how to suppress your hunger and fasting things and it's a scene that exists and I've always thought in my head that if one extreme exists, the other extreme does exist where there's other people on the other side of the flipping spectrum who just don't care about their appearance, don't want to be skinny, want to be loved the way they are and not mocked and stuff for being big or curvy or whatever it may be. And I think those two people can exist on two, you know, those two point of views can, can coexist in my opinion. But I also think I'm also kind of just curious to know why is it that people just lie to themselves? Because I feel like what's been happening nowadays, especially if you read all the accounts of the global, um, the global shortage of that, you know, in the global shortage in that drug or Zempic, that um, appetite suppressant that's meant for people to have diabetes, but now it's turned into like a weight loss drug, basically like a miracle drug because it suppresses your hunger or it makes food not be too tasty or something like that. I remember somebody saying there's a national shortage or worldwide shortage of a Zempic. People selling it on the black market, dark market for three, four, five times its value, right? Like illegally and whatnot. So clearly more, there's more people out there who really wish that they were skinny, but they can't do it the traditional way in terms of dieting and working out so they want to find an alternative way that could kind of help them along the way and they've all basically taken ozempic so clearly most more people out there want to be there's more people out there who want to look like gwyneth paltrow then there's more people out there that want to look fat it's just the facts of the numbers but for some reason online people like to lie and you know and and virtue signal and get all outraged fake outrage basically when someone like a Gwyneth basically is honest and basically fesses up because she could have lied if she wanted to she could have done what every actress does or every actor does and lied about what they eat um and say yeah i like to have cake i like to do this when really you know they don't eat jack shit they drink water they do loads of workouts um you know they're, they're, they're on broccoli and chicken was every single day to make sure that they are on tip-top shape to allow them the possibility to book roles because they're, they're working in industry where they have to get chosen you know they don't decide what jobs they get someone has to pick them and a, a good way to increase 
you know your your chances of getting roles is to make sure you're a certain size just to kind of you know not to rule you out in terms of the pick because there's loads of different types of people there's i imagine there's loads of types of actress out there who kind of have the similar Gwyneth Paltrow look so if she can be as skinny and as in shape as those other girls but also have the experience and the knowledge of the industry and the expertise she's definitely going to get the role but you gotta have to be a certain size to kind of get into that kind of you know um community but yeah, clearly for me, the Ozempic shortage is a clear indicator. People are full of shit. Most people do want to be skinny, but they just, you know, like most adults when you grow up, you just realize that it's either really hard or it's something that just takes um, a lot more effort than you maybe did when you were younger. It shouldn't just become a little bit harder. So if there's a drug that could maybe speed things up a little bit, you're going to end up taking it. And most people are doing the fact. But there are also people out there like Gwyneth Paltrow who exist, who've been living this life because I don't think this is new to Gwyneth Paltrow. She's probably fasting before it was trendy. She was probably just drinking bone broth every day before it was trendy. And now it's become trendy. People are now kind of chastising her about her. But let's look at the lady. She's what, 50 years old or something, right? And those cheekbones don't lie right those that face doesn't lie that's a face with like minimal um work done or, or what not minimal but like you know not not as much as the average hollywood actress and you'd imagine the reason why is because for the most part she's kept her you know her vitals in tip-top shape for a long long period of her career and now she's reaping the benefits of it because now she looks the way she looks and she you know can basically get by with not eating too much because she's trained her body not to be hungry over time or whatnot and i think it works for her if it works for her let her be happy let her be happy so moving on from that one we need to touch upon this uh where is it let me see if i can find it. yeah this video here so this is courtesy of my favorite nightclub here in london called fold um this really cool artist creative put together a really cool video i'll quickly get the caption up here so i can show you but i'll play the video separately because i uploaded it um this is courtesy of fold it says uh rebecca salvadori captured a rare insight into the unseen hours between the music stopped and the beginning of unfold following voice drone and new watch in their preparation for the event and of course, as you would know, um, Fold is one of the rare clubs here in London that we have that has a no pictures and no photos policy, which is definitely added to the allure and to the kind of hype and the love around the place and just the kind of fun that you'd have in there because people kind of really disconnect, or people really disconnect and kind of, you know, um, embrace and kind of live in the moment as opposed to other places where people are obsessed with pulling out their phones and recording every little section of what they're doing. And it's also really rare to see the club in the daytime because you only ever see it late at night because it usually only opens at 11 and closes super super late um in the morning or sometimes if you go to unfold you might see it in day but usually it's flipping dark inside so you don't usually get to see it under the actual lights and see what they're doing preparing it so it's a pretty insightful video to check out and also for myself being somebody that kind of you know grew up in around canning town my parents still live there and this is somewhere that i went to you know I've, i kind of know the area intimately it's kind of interesting to see this place because as much as i feel like i connect with it because obviously i love the club it also feels like a bit foreign because it's just like a club that just exists that exists in canning town but doesn't actually feel like it's connected to the area maybe because you know i used to live there and i have a different idea of it maybe it's changed i'm not too sure but i thought the video itself was really cool it's only one minute long but it's a really cool video um that this um, girl put together so i'm going to play it here and hopefully you guys enjoy finish the gig, set everything up, have a couple of hours of sleep and then come straight back.
Download a load of tunes, bang them on a USB, and then. So yeah, pretty cool video. I really, really liked it. Um, what an amazing little space. And yeah, man, like um, definitely one of my favorite clubs. And I think personally, because I just, I don't know, it kind of reminded me of all the good parts I loved about Berlin. When I first went there, it kind of, kind of awoken that little part of me. It kind of made me feel like it was like when I went to Greece Muda for the first time and saw how, you know, how expertly that kind of really small space kind of felt expansive. It felt intimate. It felt loud. It felt amazing. And obviously with the sound system in fold being one of the better ones, I feel like in London also, that kind of helped with it. Some people do criticize it for being a little bit rattly. No, sorry, for being a little bit bassy. I've heard that kind of complaint be said, but I think all in all, considering what we have in London and considering the kind of how short we are in options, I definitely think it's one of the better ones out there. But one thing that I kind of also have been thinking about fold a lot and just my kind of, you know, what I want to do in the future is that oddly enough, I think it's also been really inspiring to see it because I don't think these guys are like, you know, native to East London or to Carrington in any way, shape or form. They just set up a club and now it's become like basically the mecca of like dance music in London for the most part. Um, a lot of communities and scenes are kind of built up around it, especially from Unfold. The queer community have definitely kind of resonated or kind of been drawn to it as a sort of safe haven in a space that they can go to, especially if it's not a tech house night that they can go to feel safe and comfortable at. But I also feel like it's sort of like an other thing. It's not like connected to the area. It just happens to be there. And I would love in my future to be in a place where I'm able to open a club myself and have it somehow be tied and fitted around the area it's in. I feel like that's what maybe this only maybe missing in fold. It doesn't really feel local. It kind of just feels like it's been set up by other people. And I think that's still cool because I think the unfortunate nature of London is that because it's such a metropolitan city and because it's so busy and frantic and whatnot and because the opportunities are so rife and you know it's basically like my daddy used to always say it's a it's a it's a it's a city which where, the, where basically the streets are paved in gold if you know where to look you can basically find an opportunity for yourself in every corner but i do think there is a different level of hunger that people have who are not from london who are not from the area that they're basically building what they're building from that they come in and they attack it a different way so it's no surprise that when fold started they went they they turned up the flipping they put their foot on the pedal immediately right it went from zero to 100 really quickly they didn't rest they were putting on nights every single time they were trying things out um and then they finally kind of landed on this on this sort of model they got with these unfold things it sort of worked really really well but they went really really hard and i think no other person again myself included my parents house is literally 10 minutes walks away from fold and i have grew up in that area i used to run around there i used to go and pick up my parcels from the local dhl when it used to be around the corner from fold now it's all changed whatever it may be so i know that area intimately but look at my lazy ass i didn't have no idea to open up a club around the corner from my parents because that area is all where fold is is a really prime area to have a club because essentially it's an it's in a sort of um 
an industrial area before fold was open and before the bus station was there that whole area used to be where the um where the postal sort of like sorting offices would be i think they had a i think they had if i'm not mistaken a fedex there they had a dhl then something else it was like a main place you could be. so if you missed your deliveries they'd usually send it to that place and um then obviously things change but still it's a place where there's mostly factories and whatnot so it's hard to kind of so it's not to, it's a great place sorry, it's a great place to go to or to set up a club because obviously um there's not a lot of neighbors so not a lot of people are going to be complaining about the noise and plus on the other side of fold is the train so that maybe kind of mutes a lot of the sound it kind of takes it all away by the time it gets to the other other side of the road where the houses are so it's a really nice little place to kind of put a club but somebody like myself who only lives 10 minutes away who loves the scene anyway you know i didn't have an idea to set it up but these guys who don't who are not from the area did and they smashed it so that's obviously always going to happen i've seen it happen countless times especially in the streetwear fashion scene of people who not really from london you know come in with a different level of hunger determination and not waste time and actually hustle and make something worthwhile for people that they're going to enjoy so this is something that i definitely want to do going forward for me because i would love to be in a position where i could you know essentially build something similar to a fold in my own way i'm taking inspiration for all the places i've been to and what i love and kind of funnel it back into the club but one thing that i do like about my relationship with the club i think for the most part is that it's just been purely about the music right i've you know there's been some times i've been like you know maybe it'll be nice to play there and stuff which i think eventually will end up happening um but it's just been a nice natural i'm a fan of the place i like to go there i have no connection with anybody that's from there you know i've said hi to the founders here and there from time to time but for the most part i just kind of keep it as a pure punter vibe and i don't try to you know get pally pally with people and try and connect that way because i feel sometimes if you do that and it doesn't go well it can really taint how you look at the place and it especially for me anyway because i'm you know i'm emotional in that regard and i just don't take disrespect well so if i feel like i'm being disrespected and i just want to support it it won't be a public thing which be silent i'll just stop going but then of course that's going to hurt me because i have one less club good club to go to so i like that i approached it just as a customer and a punter and one thing they do really well is they look after the customer really well the space is just well designed there's security around the locker system is absolutely fantastic to you to put all your wares and whatnot in a safe locker and be able to just go on a dance floor and be completely crazy the bar people are awesome they've got a good space outside to chill they've got a nice little space indoors to chill it's really the best designed i feel like club in london personally how it's laid out it's done really immaculately well especially since they moved that little they had a little chair thing at the back they used to have near to, near to the doors but they moved that somewhere else and that really works out well and i think even now in the beginning the bouncers were really jumpy like if you stayed in the toilet cubicles too long they'd be banging on the door and shit but now i feel like they're a little bit more understanding of who's coming in what people are getting up to so i love everything about that what it kind of you know that kind of vibe overall and even the unfold thing on sunday which i have never been to oddly enough even though i went to the fucking first fold party ever i think that was like 2018 and but i've never actually been to an unfold because you know i just i associate sundays with like a rest day and get ready for the monday i don't really want to be raving all the time in that regard i just kind of leave that to berlin but even that's become its own little thing that's become its own little thing um which i really really love so big up um big up uh what you call it forward and those guys for kind of putting it together i think the video so i think the video is flipping awesome big up the girl that put this together as well you absolutely smashed it and it's nice to see fold in this sort of light when people are prepping and kind of getting it together and just kind of you know putting the finishing touches to the place that you're going to be enjoying and going crazy at and it's also kind of the the, the kind of cold hard reality of running a club you know when i'm at home sleeping scratching my balls watching a boiler room on my laptop in my room 
um, thinking about what I'm going to do to go out or, you know, people are going and picking up and stuff, what lot it may be. These guys are carrying around slabs of concrete and putting them under CD decks. Do you know what I mean? This is a real, 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 like, it's work. Do you know what I mean? It's fun, don't get me wrong, but it's still work. You still have to kind of be, like, attentive and on it and stuff. So it's not all kind of, it's not as kind of glitzy as I'm probably thinking about it in my head. But for sure, what they've done, especially because of how cool it is and how great they've put it together. It's definitely inspiring for me. And I'm definitely got it on my list of things to do going forward of opening up my my own club sometime in the future. That's definitely on my list, especially after what Joe Rogan's been doing also. That's been absolutely amazing to see my Joe Rogan have his own club and how that's basically blossomed and blowed up over the place. So yeah, big up forward for doing what they're doing. I love everything about them and I can't wait to have my own place that I can call home as well and kind of create my little own memories of different people also because that's what you should be doing out here in it that's what you should be doing out here and then moving on um last thing to talk about here before I roll out and then actually I think yeah I think I'll actually do a, a random show I think later as well so if you guys are around there'll be a random show later I'm gonna quickly grab some food and I'm gonna do a random show as well because I need to catch up on some stuff but this is the last topic before I leave you guys so this was really cool also this is a really really cool so somebody on a uh, Bergheim subreddit basically posted this really 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 what I think nice message regarding a DJ called Vincent Newman who's been playing over the weekend and you know basically has a really nice words to say about him and just how he basically you know um did the job there at Bergheim and I think for me this is what what can I say this is what I feel like um this is my point in why I feel like sometimes I have a really love-hate relationship with the scene love-hate relationship with the scene love-hate because in some ways I feel like I try my best to be like the consummate fan like if I'm a fan of somebody I want to let them know that I'm a fan of them. Like I would say something. I mean, I'm, I, I, I want to be like a fan and let you know how much I appreciate what you do. But then in some cases, especially in dance music scene, people are really sometimes can be too cool for school. They can be really up there and ass, which is, I thought really weird because I've always seen as much as I love DJing and myself i've been a dj for like 10 plus years and i love djs myself i listen to mixes all the time i'm going to different clubs i'm traveling the world to visit to visit different clubs and to go to different parties and meet different people and take part in that community side of things i also think to be completely honest that djs may be at the bottom of the entertainment ladder in terms of like skill and stuff right essentially we're all going out there and playing other people's music even if we've got our own productions you're not playing that all the time but you're playing other people's music for the most part so i never understood the attitudes because part of me thinks you know if harry styles who i bumped into randomly at flipping the alibi one time um was nice enough to like have a conversation and offer to buy me and my friends flipping shots and stuff right if he was nice enough to stop and speak to everybody in that flipping basement bar then why is some dj that's playing in fabric acting like they're too cool for school and they can't say hi i never understood that um no one's expecting them to kind of you know listen to your flipping whole life story but just the lack of highs the lack of acknowledging comments especially the comments that's annoying when you see a really popular dj and you go to the latest post and they've got tons of comments especially questions asking about whatever songs playing in the background of the video or just asking them questions in general and they've got no replies they've got no likes nothing they just don't engage they just upload one has received love and likes and engagement but don't ever give nothing back i think that's really stinky so this is the complete opposite of it somebody um went to Berghain and saw vincent newman playing and look at the experience that they wrote they wrote a review of it on reddit they said the following i wanted to share a cute moment from last night i went from i went for the opening because i wanted to see vincent newman 
and there wasn't many people there but i got up to the pod but to the podest next to the dj booth and started dancing vincent saw me and grabbed my hands and we both smiled at each other it was such a cute moment for me because i've never had an interaction with like that with a dj while they were playing at Berghain. i guess he's a humble guy and vincent newman decided to screenshot this comment and said thank you and everyone who sent this to me and then the next comment i think was really really important here it says this interaction for me um is very essential and a part of what makes dj great i'm interested in connecting with people on the floor not in a i'm the star up here you plebs are down their way and yeah i'm a humble person because i've been very lucky and privileged to experience these beautiful moments and i'm reminding myself every time that this is not something to be taken for granted this is why for me personally vincent newman i'm gonna be a fanboy is here forever he's one of he's like I'm, yeah, I'm your fan forever much like when i first bumped into you know flipping um much when I first bumped into Dixon and Arm at a party that me and my friend went to ages ago in Bethnal Green, and they were nice to just the first occasion, even though we were drunk and asking for pictures and shit. I've been, we've been fans of those guys ever since. It's the same way I can be a fan of those guys ever since too. All it takes, all it takes, all it takes is a really little, little, little bit of acknowledgement. And this is what changes an interaction. It really does change it. And again, I don't think this is a normal situation because I'm assuming what the, what the poster was talking about, they arrived early at Bergheim. It wasn't too full. Vincent acknowledged the person. It was like a kind of in the moment sort of thing. But I'm not expecting Vincent Newman to get out behind a DJ booth and go and start hugging and kissing everybody on the dance floor. That's insane. But just the acknowledgement of understanding that, you know, people are here to see you. They're fans of you. Um, acknowledging their presence, saying hi, all these kind of things go a long way. And also just the idea that as we meet, knowing from what I played over the weekend, I've mentioned at the start of the podcast, like, you know, I'm playing in bars and pubs and stuff, right? I'm kind of on my way up, kind of trying to, trying to go up the flipping ladder, but it's still a grind. But for the most part, most people have come up on that grind too, playing in bars and pubs, playing in lounge bars, playing at art galleries, like, you know, spaces where people don't really care that you're there. But then over time, maybe a production, maybe a co-sign, maybe a label night, something happens and it kind of pops and you kind of grow up and then suddenly you're playing in actual clubs and it becomes a little bit more fun. But the bot, the, the kind of early stages are not the greatest, right? You're kind of grinding a little bit, but everybody's got that experience. So you'd imagine if everyone's got that experience, there'd be a little bit of understanding and less kind of pompous attitude and acting better than because you know how many people you played alongside or with who didn't make it who are really good just because they're just you know it's just a really hard industry to kind of break into so you'd be kind of grateful for what you have but they don't they're really a bit strange and they have to be they're bizarre about it even super entitled so i feel like when you do meet a dj who is kind of decent and nice it's nice to see this but 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 i also think in my head to be completely fair to them the ones that are cunts i can understand also and i can think in general maybe for it's better because i've adopted this mindset going forward anyway in my life in general because i had some very you know i wouldn't say unpleasant but just annoying interactions with people and dms and stuff you're like you know what this is annoying because now i can't ever listen to anything you do again like you're basically dead to me even though i really liked what you did um because i just can't you know i'm not somebody that supports people especially if i reach out to somebody it's just just weird anyway so i think a new rule that people should maybe abide by is that maybe people should learn to detach the person from the art that they like and just enjoy what the person makes and just become like a fan that way of like hey i like what you do in terms of the art that you make and the, the entertainment you provide but anything else outside of it your personality i don't care anything about i think that might be the actual best way to kind of deal with these things so you then you're never disappointed if somebody doesn't want to take a picture doesn't reply back to your dms leaves you unseen blah 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 
blah, doesn't engage, all that sort of stuff will, will not feel as personal because you just treat them like the artist and just leave it like that. If they have a meet and greet, you can go, whatever, and that will be it. But everything else, you kind of have to just leave to the buy side because I think for the most part, these guys can be cunts. But when they're nice, like Vincent Newman, I think it's really good to highlight. So big up Vincent Newman for acknowledging fans, um, for being a man of the people. And for me, this will be solid. This solidifies him as one of my favorite DJs. Even though I haven't flipping seen him play before, I don't care. This is absolutely beautiful and a nice little moment that happened there and you know if it's not for reddit this will just be a personal thing that this person just experienced so the fact that we get to see and you get to share this and we hear about it is also nice and just kind of i, I think in general just kind of gives people a good vibe because sometimes Bergheim people can have a bad reputation because it's a bit ultra serious in there but it's nice to see djs that play in there are appreciative of people that come that queue up outside because the queue outside usually to get into absolutely insane especially if it's a really popular night the ones coming up in flipping you know for easter in april are going to be crazy so the, that acknowledgement is flipping nice to see. It's great, great, great to see that um, from them because you know I feel like it's a it's a, it's like a it's like a flipping back. Of, it's like a symbiotic relationship isn't it, in some way, shape, or form. Without without them, we can't dance. Without us, they can't play. You know, we should kind of be together on this situation. We should be together, but hey, what do I know? Anyway, that has been the Action Zing Show episode number six five seven. It's been a pleasure to have your company as per usual. If it's your first time watching this show and you like what you see, then you can subscribe to my channel. You can like the video. You can, you can, you know, leave me reviews on Apple and Spotify and all that's good stuff. That'd be appreciated. If it isn't your first time, thank you for coming back. I appreciate you. If you listen to the audio side of this podcast, you'll hear a tune of the day coming in in the background. If you watch the video, you won't see any tune. Just be me talking to you right now. Um, later on, as I mentioned, it may be in about half an hour, I'll be doing a random show um, covering some bits and bobs that have been happening in the comedy thing. So if you want to watch that, then check that out. I'll be back very soon, maybe about half an hour-ish. I'll give you some time to set up. And then that'll be basically it. you basically see me very, very soon. But thank you again for tuning in to the Excellence Dinger Show, episode number 657. It's been a pleasure to have your company as per usual and um yeah man thank you for hanging out with the guy i'll see you guys very very soon the tune today should be playing behind me right now and we shall reconvene very very soon take care be safe peace